In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The strangest and most wonderful thing about the Transfiguration is that it actually happened. The flesh of Jesus' face began to radiate light like the sun. And the garments made of earthly materials that Jesus wore became white as light itself. Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses of this. So before we can marvel at the profound theological implications or wonder at the appearance of Moses and Elijah or ponder connections with the Exodus or the Feast of Tabernacles, we must first, like little children, marvel and wonder and ponder at nothing more than this. He was transfigured before them. It happened. And this thing is written, this little piece of history is recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. For Jesus' disciples, there was never any question that he was fully man. He ate and drank, and that with sinners. At times he was fatigued and went to a solitary place to pray. He wept when one of his good friends, Lazarus, died. And of course Jesus suffered. We see this in the scourging he endured and also in the crucifixion. Bleeding, hanging, and dying are all very human things. There was no doubt as to his humanity. But the transfiguration shows that he who is true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is also true God, begotten of the Father from all eternity. God of God and light of light, we just confessed in the creed. And when he is transfigured before Peter, James, and John, it is God of God and light of light that they see with their very eyes. And similarly, when Christ appears on the last day, it is God of God and light of light that we shall see, each one of us, with our own eyes. As we confessed, he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Judgment Day isn't exactly a happy thought, at least not for many of us. What comes to your mind when you ponder the great day when Jesus will appear in glory? Could it be that the light of his face will uncover the darkness of your thoughts or the shameful things you've done in secret? He who knows all things, sees all things, and forgets nothing doesn't matter to him if it happened months ago or years ago or decades ago. He is the eternal and timeless one. He is neither deceived nor is he mocked by the pious stories we tell ourselves and, of course, others in order to cover our sins. Jesus, the great diagnostician of man's hearts, gives this list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, 
slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within. Within the human heart. And they defile a person. The insanity of sin is that we sin knowing that there will be a judgment. And the insanity of our lives is that we squander so much of them, making ourselves busy with foolish things, striving for some minor accomplishment or earthly success. What the common confession says is accurate of all. I have lived as if God did not matter, as if I mattered most. The self-centered, self-absorbed, self-important I in each one of us, constantly seeking its own glory, glory that is in the end nothing but shame. For as surely as Christ stood that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, his face shining as the sun and his garments as pure light, so too he will stand over this world in true glory. And in that great and terrible day, that day of wrath, that day of vengeance, that day of eternal judgment, you and I will fall upon our knees before him with his face shining like the sun. And what will we say? Well, we might well say, "'Tis good, Lord, to be here." For the one who will stand before us on that day as judge is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, some of the church fathers said it this way, we go to communion every Sunday as if going to the judgment, so that when we go to the judgment, it's as if going to communion. Here at this table and there on the last day, you meet the same Lord and Savior. And what does he say to you? He gives himself to you and says, for the forgiveness of all your sins. Tis good, Lord, to be here. So Peter spoke. When he, no less a sinner than you or I, looked upon his Savior's shining face. Master, it is good that we are here, he said. Let's make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't exactly have a camping trip in mind. Peter said this not knowing what it was that he was saying. He was anticipating the Feast of Tabernacles and the last day. He was right about it being good for them to be there. The mistake he made was in thinking that this day of transfiguration was the last day. That this event was the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, which in fact it was not. That day is yet to come. That is the day when God will make his tabernacle and tent with us and with all the faithful. And we will see him face to face. And God will live among us and be our neighbor for eternity. But it was not yet that time. So at least part of what Peter said was true. That part about it being good to be here. But how exactly is it that he, a sinner, can say this when he stands before the one who is light of light on the day of transfiguration? And how is it that we could dare to say the same when we stand that day before the one who is light of light on, on the day of judgment? 
There's only one reason. And that's because between the transfiguration and the judgment comes the cross. The one who is God of God and light of light will be crucified. And upon him, the scriptures say, will be laid the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of those who came before him, like Moses and Elijah. The iniquity of those who have come after him, like Peter, James, and John. He has borne the iniquity of us all. And if our sin is upon him, if your sin is upon him, then you have no sin. For the same reason that Moses and Elijah may appear with the Lord, Moses the great lawgiver and Elijah the great prophet, and yet both of them sinners. Maybe you recall that Moses was almost struck dead by God because he didn't circumcise his son soon enough. And Elijah had such little faith that sometimes he wished that God would strike him dead. But these two sinners nonetheless appear beside the glorified Lord in the transfiguration for this reason. They have been washed clean by his blood. They have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so Moses and Elijah both point to Christ, the law and the prophets testifying that he is the Messiah, the Savior, and that whoever believes in him has life in his name. There's no more priceless comfort and joy than this, that when Jesus stands on the Mount of Transfiguration in glory, he surrounds himself only with sinners, Redeemed sinners, but sinners. And so it will be on the last day as well. When Jesus stands in judgment and glory, he will gather us to his right-hand side, surrounding himself with redeemed sinners on that day as well. Peter, with all his doubts about the cross, get behind me, Satan, the Lord even told him. And later he denied our Lord three times before the rooster crowed. James and John, with their ambitions to sit at Jesus' right hand and at his left in glory. And they're wanting to call down fire on sinners' heads. And you and me as well, with our own sins, with our own agendas that distract us and take us away from the things of God. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for all of us. He who is God of God and light of light was nailed to a tree for all of us. He is our salvation. The transfiguration also shows that the blood streaming from his gored flesh when he was crucified, the terrible wounds that he endured, that is the very blood of God. His blood cleanses Moses and Elijah. It cleanses Peter, James, and John. And it cleanses you. And not just abstractly, but when you come forward today and receive His very blood on your lips, His blood cleanses you. Luke tells us that this is what Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were speaking about. In the English translation that we read from today, the word's wrong. The translator ought to be fired. The word in English is departure. If you go and look in Greek, the word is literally exodus. 
They were talking about Jesus' exodus that he would accomplish in Jerusalem. His death on the cross. When he, just as Moses led in in Exodus, he would lead an even, even greater exodus. He would lead us out of the slavery to our sins. He would snatch us out of the cruel hands of hell's Pharaoh. He would lead us to the promised land through the very Red Sea of his own shed blood. Indeed, through the very heart of death itself and out the other side into the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And that means very plainly that Jesus is leading his exodus of which we are a part. As we go our way through this wilderness life, we're not so unlike those who went through the wilderness before us. We eat the true heavenly bread and manna from above, his body. And we drink from him as Israel drank from the rock that followed them. Our spiritual drink is his very blood. Our lives are part of his story. And we are partakers of his glory because we are partakers of his exodus. And it is this story that will be written down and recorded for all eternity. And in that day, you and I will look back and say, I was there. We were part of it. Jesus was leading us on an exodus that led through the very heart of death. And we went with him. God the Father confirms these things when he overshadowed the mountain with the glorious cloud of his presence. With a booming voice, he proclaimed where we should and must place all our attention. This is my beloved Son, he says, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the glorious cloud came over the three, Peter, James, and John, they were afraid. And we must feel some of this too, because God is quite real, and so is his coming judgment. But our comfort is this. Jesus is his chosen one, and we have been chosen in him. We are participants in his exodus, the greatest exodus the world has ever known. It has already begun, is taking place right now, and is happening right under the world's nose. And the one whom we follow, the one who is with us even now, is the very Son of God. God the Father is well pleased with Jesus. And because you are in Jesus, God the Father is well pleased with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.